Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. More stories you are not going to believe. And advice that you didn't know that you needed. Five stars. Five and a half stars. We're creating a legacy one call at a time. Here comes my daddy. Your problem is, is that you like me. My dad is my hero. He'll always be there to take your call, and you'll never be in too much trouble if your dad is around. Oh, boy. Hey, hey, hey. I think I'm a pretty cool dude. Better call daddy. The safe space for controversy. This is your host, Rena Friedman-Watts. No, this is your host, Celia Watts. More inspirational stories, more daddy drama, and more laughs. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. <laughs> My dad said that today's guest, Christopher Lewis, may sound soft-spoken, but he is determined about his mission. The best way to be protective of your daughter is to make sure she can stand tall on her own. Christopher Lewis, welcome to the Better Call Daddy Show. Hello. Good morning. Yeah, I am excited to hear about your thoughts on what it takes to be a dad to a daughter. Sounds good. Yeah. I mean, you've learned a lot about that. I have. <laughs> I, I, I have tried anyways. I've tried my best. So okay. let's talk about the importance of that role. You know, for me, as I became a father and a father to a daughter, one of the things that was always a challenge for me is I was an only child. So I'll step back and say I was an only child. I didn't really have a lot of experience. I, I didn't have any experience having brothers or sisters, knowing what it was like to, to have that. I had my own experience as with my own father, my own experience with my own mother, but I'm an only child too. So that kind of was different for me. So didn't do a lot of babysitting. So a lot of it was brand new. And as I stepped into it, you know, you know, as a man, you know, you know what your experience was growing up as a male. So I think that going into being a father, I think I probably would have felt at least somewhat more prepared with a boy just because I know the experience. However, that being said, I didn't go in hoping to have a boy, hoping to have a girl. You know, I wanted a healthy child. I wanted to be able to. And then when we found out that we were Having a baby girl, which was at the moment that she was born, it was it was amazing. And it was a opportunity for me to learn and to grow along with her because, again, I didn't know what I didn't know. And I think a lot of dads say that. So, But over the years, so my oldest is now 18, but when she was born, it was a lot of trial and error. As my second child was born about between three and a half, four years later, you know, you've learned some and you have a better feel for what it was to be expected. But as I was getting ready for my second child to be born, I really wanted to start to talk about my own experiences in fatherhood. I, I enjoyed writing. I enjoyed being able to talk to others. And sometimes as a, as a dad, you sometimes feel a little insulated and kind of separated and you don't always feel like you have a community around you. Men are not always the best at building community. And so as I was getting ready for my second child to be born, I started writing a, at that time, a blog called, and we called it Dad of Divas because we found out that my second child was going to be a girl as well. And, and I started talking about my experiences in being a father of a daughter. 
And I felt that that was important because I wanted to talk about my own experiences. I wanted to talk about what I was learning, but then I also wanted to be able to bring forward the experiences of others and talking about what it meant to be a dad, a dad to a daughter, but also dad to a son and, and learn from them. Because from every person I talked to over the years, I had a series in my on my Dad of Diva's website for many years called Dads in the Limelight, where I spotlighted fathers and just allowed for them to shine and to be able to talk about what it meant to be a dad to them, what they had to learn along the way, you know, things that they wish they would have known. From those conversations, I jumped into the podcasting realm with a podcast called Dad Spotlight, which no longer is out there, but that went for uh, about 150 episodes. And then the show that you and, your, you and your father were on, Dads with Daughters, came about with the advent of the nonprofit that we started about back in 2018 for the co-founder and I, Brian Anderson and I, were working together and building a Facebook community for Dads with Daughters. And that kind of blew up on us. And we grew from about 10,000 members to 128,000 members in about about a year. And that was all thanks to Facebook doing a commercial about the group. So that was kind of, we had to grow really quickly and learn, but we created a nonprofit called Fathering Together. And as a part of building that nonprofit, we started the Dads with Daughters podcast too. And, And that one specifically is about being a dad to a daughter. Okay, so saying all of that, I just wanted to give a little background, and I know I've talked a lot, but but I think for me, all of these conversations, everything that I've done over the years has really been an opportunity for me to be able to learn from others, because I know that I have failed probably more than I've had successes, and, and that's okay, because we are all fallible, we have to learn from our mistakes, and we have to do what we can to be able to help to raise our, our daughters to be strong, independent women. That's the tagline that I use with every episode that I do of the Dads with Daughters podcast. And it's true. You know, I want to make sure that my kids are not only ready for their future, but at the same time, I want them to be able to be strong and independent and be able to live on their own when they are ready to to leave our home and and be ready for what awaits them even though you know it probably probably won't be completely ready but we can do our best to try to give them the skills and offer them the opportunities to be able to do just that talk to me about how you're encouraging your daughters now i see that you're proud yeah so i think for me Throughout the years, I have tried to do whatever I can to be able to open up opportunities for them, to be able to encourage them and push them and try different, to try different things, to try things and fail. If, and if they fail, help them to try to learn from what that failure was and to be able to support them along the way. The interesting part is every child is a little bit different. So My oldest is very much like me, very driven, very energetic, and open to do tons of different things and has a just a a zest for life that is out there. My youngest is much more like her mother and much more introverted, much more quiet. And you have to understand that you can't push kids in the same way way. So I've had to learn a little bit differently with my youngest about how do I encourage her? Because I can't encourage her the same way that I 
encourage my oldest because my I know my oldest will take those opportunities that I'm giving her right away and jump at them usually not always but usually and that being said my youngest is slower at that and and will will think about things and be more contemplative about it and be a little more introspective about it in that regard I have to be able to work with each child just a little bit differently. And I think that I've not only learned that in their teenage years, where you really see it, but throughout their lives, you have to build those unique relationships individually with each child. And that becomes harder, you know, especially as you you have more kids. You know, I've talked to fathers that have very large families, and I'm like, how do you do it? Because... I can't even imagine. I mean, I've talked to dads that have, you know, seven, eight, nine kids. And I'm like, how, how do you balance all that you're trying to do for your family with still trying to build those unique relationships with every child that you have? Because that has to be a monumental task. And it, and it is, but it's just different from what I've learned from them, you know, and, and they have to balance things in different ways and kids are helping a lot more to do things that mom and dad in a family of, you know, four would, might not look the same and it might not be the same type of dynamic. So, yeah. So, I mean, I I think for me, I, I just, I try my best to push my kids in ways that I think that will encourage them to, to do things, to try things in different ways and know that, you know, as I learn more about the the things that they are passionate about, the things that they are interested in, you know, I'm trying to do what I can to be able to encourage those passions, open up other opportunities that allows for them to explore them more and see what we can do to be able to push them in in slight ways or larger ways, depending on the child themselves. What did they think about the network that you've built and have you been able to leverage it to help them? Over the years, I think they've benefited because of the fact that over the years, I've also had opportunities to be able to try things. I've had opportunities to bring them to things, you know, because I've been asked to do reviews or I've been asked to bring my family to things. So they've benefited along the way, whether it be that, we were able to get different Nintendo games to, to try out as a family and then talk about our experience or, you know, be able to go while we're on vacation and we're able to check out, you know, Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum. And they want us to talk about that. You know, so there's been some things along the way that as a influencer, I've been able to leverage being a dad with things that they I know that they are interested in. But then to open up some other things like that, I think that one of the things that any influencer has to be very careful about is everything that I was doing was always on top of what I was doing for my professional work. So being like dad of divas, fathering together, all of these things that I do, I have to balance my time in also being a full-time father, a full-time employee. And, and I can't let those other things take away from the other things that I have to do in my life. And there are probably were times throughout the years that I was spending too much time on trying to build Dad of Divas or Fathering Together. And I needed to be able to step back. And I did at times step back because I was spending too much time. And what does that say, right? 
it's not a good look if you're talking about how how you should be an engaged father, but then you are being engaged, but your attention is also being split in too many different ways. So you have to walk the walk and talk the talk. And over the years, you know, I've had to learn how to best do that, to be able to advocate for the engagement that I want fathers to be able to, to do, but then I have to do the same. And I feel like for me, I've found that balance. You know, I have made it very clear with my professional work, but also the work that I do on the side that the kids come first, that, you know, if there is a band concert, I'm going to be there for my oldest. If there is a soccer game, I'm going to be there for my kids. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be on the sidelines helping the team. You know, I'm going to do what I can to be actively involved because I want my kids to think back and say, my dad was busy, but he always had time to be involved in what I was doing. And I hope that that's something that they will always say as they think back to their their childhood, their teenage years, and they think back to just growing up in general. How important is that? Have you seen parents who didn't have that and that talk about that now? Well, my father does. And I'll say that, I mean, we've had blunt conversations about that. My dad was always very, very busy. And even if you talk to him today, one of the things that he says he regrets the most is that he was not more present when I was growing up. My mom was much more of a present person in my life. My father was a a middle school principal. He was a basketball coach. He was a, he became an assistant superintendent in a school district. I mean, he spent long hours and worked long hours and was very very involved in the work that he did. And that allowed for our family to do things and to be be able to do a lot of things, but he was not as active in the events and experiences and things when I was younger, more so when I was in high school, he got more involved and he was at my, you know, I was in musicals and I was in, I was in marching band and I, you know, he came to those things and was, and he was at a different point in his career at that point. But when I was young, he kind of said, he has said to me, I wish I was at your soccer games. I wish I had had more time to be at your t-ball and baseball games. And he said, that's one thing that I regret. And I get it. You know, I can see now looking back, you know, at my own experience that how you can be drawn into that. And for me, when my kids were young, I realized that I needed to put more time in. As they've gotten older, I've been able to pull back a little bit in the sense of, you know, I do have to do evening events at times and I'm involved in other things and, you know, and, but they are too. So the time that we do have together is, is less, but we need to make it meaningful so that we can make sure that the time that we do, we are able to spend together is meaningful in that way. Any ideas on how to make it meaningful? I mentioned the fact that you have to build those individual relationships with your kids and know what makes them tick. Because while you can do something as a whole family, you also need to do things individually with each child. And doing one thing with one child may not be what is what the other child needs. So being able to do things together as a family is great, but then also having being able to set time apart To have those, to do those special things with each of your children is really important as well. So my youngest loves 
to geocache. So that's something that we do together. My oldest isn't as into that, but my oldest and I will go and we'll go on 30 mile bike rides, you know, and we'll get on our bikes and just we'll go out into the countryside and ride on back roads and we'll ride 30 miles. And, you know, it's a lot of fun, you know, but my youngest has no interest whatsoever in riding a bike 30 miles. So, you know, it's, it's knowing your child and being able to find ways to be able to build that time together and doing things that each of your children find meaningful. And I think that you have to do that throughout their lives. And as their personality starts to show and you start to learn more, sometimes you're going to be asked to do things that you have no interest in, but you have to suck it up and you have to be like, sure, I'll play Barbies with you. Let's get on the floor, you know? And as your kids are really young, you get, you need to be on the floor. You need to be down at their level. You need to be doing things with them. And, you know, if they're into playing with Matchbox cards, play with Matchbox cards. If they want to play a video game, you play a video game. If it's, like I said, playing, playing with Barbie, play with Barbie. And you do what you have to do, even if it's may not be, you know, your passion. You know, my kids know that I like podcasting. Do they have an interest in podcasting? No, they don't. But that doesn't mean that I couldn't do have them come on if they're willing to come on and, and talk to me and we could do a podcast together. But that being said, I'm not going to force that on them either. And I think sometimes dads, moms will force things that they like onto their kids or they want their kids to live out what they experienced in school or in high school or in you know, or it's something that they didn't get to do. And I've never tried to do that with my kids. You know, I, as I said at the beginning, I, I try to give my kids opportunities to, that I know will push them, will allow for them to learn to grow. But I'm not going to say, hey, I didn't get a varsity letter in track. You should be on the track team or, or you're going to be on the track team because I didn't get this. I don't believe in that. I don't think that that's the way to go. You've got to let your kids shine and you've got to let them find their way in that way. Your daughter did pick up on the bicycling. She did. She did. And actually, I had <laughs> never ridden ridden my bike that far. She and I just started biking over COVID and we just kept doing it. So actually, it was not something. I mean, I've always ridden a bike, but never that much distance. So I ended up over the over COVID getting a road bike and getting something that could handle handle more miles versus the mountain bike that I had, which is not good for that long of a distance. So that actually did. Now she did follow in my footsteps. My oldest did follow in my footsteps in playing the trumpet. So she wanted to play, she wanted to be in band and I had the trumpet and she decided that she was going to continue and play the trumpet. So she did follow in my footsteps in that, but I never pushed it. She could have decided to play tuba or flute or, you know, drums, whatever. but. I never really told her that she had to play that instrument. Did you follow in your parents' footsteps in any ways? I would say that my dad, as I said, was very involved and very actively involved in lots of different things. And my personality is similar to him. However, I will say that I consciously knew that I had to rein it in and needed to be able to be present and be active throughout my kids' lives. And I'm not saying that to be mean to what to my dad or anything like that, 
but I just knew that that was something that was important to me. I would say that my dad also was in band when he was in school and I continued with that. He was in sports. I really wasn't in sports. I was in band and I was in marching band and theater. He was in choir and my dad was in choir. So I mean, I followed in some of their footsteps. I think that my mom did a lot of volunteering and, and, and I volunteer a lot too. And I try to give back to the community. And I think I learned a lot of that from my parents as well. You know, I, my parents were involved in K-12 education their entire careers. I am not a K-12 educator, but I do work in higher education. I work at a college or a university. And so I've continued to work in education, but then I also am an elected school board member within our district. And I did that specifically because I wanted to give back to our schools and, and to be able to be involved in the education that my kids were getting. So I've been on for six years and just got elected again for another six years. So that's been a, a passion project as well. Congratulations. Yeah, I saw Thank that you. on your social. How Appreciate important that. is it for parents to get involved in the school? Like some just drop them off and, you know, expect the school to handle it. You know, for me, I think the more that a parent is involved in their kid's education, the better off the child is going to be. I believe that a parent needs to understand what the child is learning to be able to support them in that learning. And any teacher is going to say that they want their parents to be actively involved because whether it's a student in kindergarten or a student in high school, if a parent is actively involved, you're going to see higher rates of not only attendance in kids, you're going to see higher rates of completion of assignments better understanding in assignments because there's a dialogue that's happening in class and then there's a dialogue that's happening outside of class. And you've got to start that type of work from early on. You need to infuse that in your child, infuse that into your family life so that you have the opportunity to be able to have that grow with your child as well. Not just spring it on them, you know, when they get in middle school or high school, but that it's an expectation that we're going to talk about this. We're going to work with you on this. We're going to see, you know, what, you, what do you have to do to be successful in this? And some of it comes down to how do you set up as the child gets older? How does the child set up opportunities for themselves to be able to prepare for, you know, let's say tests, you know, study skills, not just study skills, but time management skills. And there's lots of things that can be inside of a home can be a part of the learning that they learn inside the home that'll support that in-class learning as well. Because teachers can't teach everything. There has to be that continuum of education that happens inside and outside of the class. Oh my God. How did you do that continuum? It's not easy. It's not easy. And my kids sometimes took it better than others. I will give kudos to my, my partner. She is a past teacher. So it, that helps. And the kids sometimes would go to her, you know, for help with things. They'd come to me for other things. You know, we try to support them along the way. And, but we also have taught them to advocate for themselves too, and to ask for questions, to ask for help if they need the help, because that's important too. And you have to be able to help your child to learn to advocate for themselves, because that's a part of being independent and being able to live on your own is you have to be willing to advocate and to ask for the things that you need. And that's going to help in life, no matter if you are 16 
25 or 45 or whatever, you have to have that instilled in your life. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And I also think that that's a personality thing as well. Like some kids are better at doing that (laughs) than others. I heard you do an episode recently about all of the scholarships that are available and planning for college and, and how 529s now can be set up by grandparents. Can you talk just a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, I can talk about some of it. I'm not hundred percent an expert. I mean, I have worked in college admission for many, many years. So I know the college admission side, but as we get into finances, I'll tell you, I mean, I'm learning a lot because I have a senior in high school this year. And I mean, things that I did not know. I mean, you know, there is a, on the FAFSA form, there is a new IRS lookup tool, which is a great thing because it brings the information right from your taxes into your FAFSA. Now, if you don't know what FAFSA is, I'm using acronyms, but the free application for federal student aid. So as your kids get to old enough and they're looking at college, you'll fill out the FAFSA every year. And that is the form that colleges use to determine what you're going to pay, if there's scholarships, you know, what your financial need is, you know, all of those different things. Well, This IRS retrieval tool is great, but we ran into a situation this year where the IRS retrieval tool pulled in a rollover amount of money that we took from one retirement account into another retirement account and counted it as income. Well, that was a problem because what that means is that the IRS basically told the colleges that my income was like three times as much as I make. Well, that's a problem. Because as you can probably guess, you go from having a estimated family contribution of, let's say you thought your family contribution was going to be about 15000 Well, maybe with that, it's saying that your contribution is 100000 So you have to go through school by school to get that corrected. Now, is it something that can be corrected? Yes, it can. But it's just things that, again, I wouldn't have known. But going back to your question, there are a ton of scholarships that are out there. And that, that's, that's why there's so many dang books out there that you'll see these huge books. I mean, they're, they're huge. And they will list scholarship among scholarship. There are websites out there and search engines and all kinds of things that are out there for you. Now, the thing that I would say about scholarships is start early. And if your child is willing to put the work in, I mean, you can start in your sophomore, junior year and look at some of these scholarship search engines and create profiles. Because once you've created profiles, they'll start emailing you with things that match that profile. And some of the scholarships are easier than others. Many of them will be based off off of essays. So your child is going to have to be willing to do the work. You can't do the work for them. You have to be willing to let them do the work. And if they're willing to put the time and effort in, they may see the benefits of doing that. And I say may, because there's a lot of scholarships that are out there, but there are a lot of students out there too. Not every scholarship gets a ton of applicants, but you have to have the time and willingness to put the time in to do those applications. And not every child has that amount of time to do it. I would say that making sure that your child has a good relationship with their guidance counselors at your high school is important. You want to make sure that as the guidance counselors get to know about scholarships that are available in your local community, that you're able to find out what those scholarships are. Because especially ones that are local, there may be more opportunity for students within your own schools to have access to them. So that's important as well. One of the other things that I guess that I would throw out there too is on the college admission side, make sure that you don't wait to start looking or talking about college until 
the summer before your senior year. So start having a conversation as your child is getting into middle school. Start talking about the different type of options that are out there. You know, talk about careers. What are their interests? What kind of careers might lead from those interests so that they can start to look at, okay, well, what would it take for you to be able to get into that career field? What kind of education do you need? Oh, they want a degree in computer science. Well, what is a degree in computer science? Can you get that at the local community college? Do you need to go to a university to be able to get that? Is it only a bachelor's degree? Is it a master's degree? You know, have them start to do some research and look at some different schools and different programs and, and see what kind of classes would you have to study if you were doing that. And if you start early and start to infuse that type of education into your kids from an early age, it helps to whittle down the options because there's a lot of options out there. And as you get into high school, maybe into your sophomore year, your junior year, if you've done that pre-work, start to visit some schools and make sure that you're asking as much as you can. You know, not only the questions of, you know, how much is this going to cost or, you know, what's the living situation look like or what's the dining situation look like, but asking questions of the academic areas that you're going to be going into. What does the career opportunities look like? What are alumni doing from that program? You can reach out and talk to faculty within that academic area, or you could have your child do that. I would always encourage that. And I've done that to my own daughter. My, da my oldest daughter is interested in political science. She could study that at almost any university. And so as she's looking at different schools, you know, I've said to her, reach out to the program chair, talk to the program chair. But as you're talking to the program chair, ask the same questions of every program chair, because then you have an apples to apples type of scenario where you're at, you're able to then place the program side by side and you're able to allow for the child to be able to get some sense of these are some of the academic differences between the programs. This is what I like. This is what I don't like. This is the, the feeling that I got based on, you know, talking to this individual. Is it going to give me the opportunities that I want to get out of this experience? Is it not? And then they can get a better feel for what is the type of program that I'm really looking for. So those are some things that I always encourage students to do too, not just on the, how do you pay for college, but also how do you prepare and think about the colleges that you actually want to attend? Because applying to colleges is not cheap either. I will tell you that over COVID, more and more schools have gotten rid of their application fees, but the most selective of schools, they're still charging application fees. And if the schools are charging anywhere from $50 to $100 per school, and typically you're going to need to be able to look at, a student's going to be looking at maybe, let's say, three to five schools, well, you're still talking $300 to $500 maybe that is going to be out there. Unless you are in a situation where you have financial need. And there are opportunities for families with financial need to be able to request application fee waivers. But typically, they're going to ask for some additional information that would substantiate that you need it and not just take it on your word that, hey, I'm getting free and reduced lunch or whatever it might be, but they're going to ask for some additional information to truly waive that. Sometimes schools will have certain weeks during the year 
where maybe for that one week, they have a free application. So you have to do your due diligence, know the school, you know, show the school that you have an interest in them and be able to know what's happening when, especially as you get into your senior year, so that you're keeping those deadlines. And, and that's one of the things that I tell students too, is, is to have a, a spreadsheet where you can get the same information from every school and then set them side by side. So you can look at what's the cost, you know, what's the room and board, you know, what's the living situation look like, you know, all the things that are most important to you, you can set them side by side and not have to try to keep it all inside your head. Yeah, that's great advice. I'm also curious on the flip side, as far as what would you tell students who are applying? How can they put together a portfolio or how can they put their best foot forward in presenting themselves? I would say that more and more today, schools are looking for students that have a breadth and depth within them. So I say that not meaning that you need to be the president of every club inside your high school, but they want to see what you have done to differentiate yourself from others and what makes you unique. Because you know, if you get good grades, but all you do is get good grades and come home and watch TV and, and that's all you do, well, you're going to have a harder time answering some of their essay questions that they're going to be asking. You need to be able to draw from experiences and opportunities to be able to talk about those experiences in a meaningful way. Because when you do apply, what ends up happening is that they will ask you They'll ask you a lot of different questions about you, and you have an opportunity to select from a number of different essays, and they're all about you as an individual. But the best case scenario is that you're drawing from personal experiences that can talk to these essays and allow them to get a better feel for you as an individual. So the person that is getting involved in different organizations that is a leader or shows leadership in some way, that's a great thing. But does that mean you have to be president of five different organizations in one specific year? No, it doesn't. Because just because you are president of five different clubs could mean that you're ineffective at every one of them because you are spread so thin. Whereas you might be able to say, hey, I was president of this organization. These are the five things going in that I wanted to do. And I accomplished all five of them. You know, this is what we did to change the, the culture of our school or change the culture of the organization. And you're able to go deeper versus on a kind of a, a shallow depth of I was president and I did this much versus I was president and did this much more. So does that, I hope that makes sense. But that that is something that I tend to tell students because as they're putting together their essays, they're putting together, as you kind of said, their portfolio per se, you're really trying to set yourself apart in many different ways. But at the same time, you need to be able to dig deep and you've got to be, you've got to be able to do that and, and have the experiences to do that too. I kind of want to tie that back into the beginning of all you've got going on. I mean, my God, you wear a lot of hats. So how have you had to expand your team or add people to help you along the way? I mean, 
where you can have that balance that you seek. Different things that I've been involved in, you know, with fathering together, we were, we were able to get to a point where we did have some finances to be able to bring some additional uh, staff in to be able to help us with the work that we did. We had volunteer staff and paid staff. That's been very helpful from an organizational standpoint. I would say that some of the other things, I've still had to balance things on my own and just kind of decide whether or not I would do some things and have to set some things aside because of time. So when looking at Dad of Divas or looking at some of the podcasts that I do, you know, sometimes you have to pick and choose and you have to say, I just can't do this. Or if you're asked to pick something else up, sometimes you have to say, I can't. Unfortunately, I can't. You know, I tend to be a yes person saying, oh yeah, sure, let's do it. But there are times where you have to be able to step back and say, if I say yes to this, what am I saying no to? Because you can't make more hours in a day and you have to be able to know when to say when. And sometimes you have to do that too. Great answer. Is there anything that you'd like to ask my dad? You've asked him a bunch of questions. (laughs) I did ask him a ton of questions. I don't know if there is any other questions for him. Or is there anything that you've learned from your dad that you might want to impart on us? You know, I think I've mentioned that in regards to my dad, I think the one thing that I learned was just learning from what he regretted. And that was what he said to me when I was a new father, which was, I wish I had, I had spent more time when you were young with you and spent more time, you know, at the activities, the events, and been able to be more actively involved. That resonated with me and made me kind of do the complete opposite and really do what I could to be at everything. Over the years, my oldest has played soccer since she was in preschool, and I think I've been at every game. Or I've been at 90 8% of every game. I mean, there's been probably been some times when I was at a conference or I was, at, I was away and I just could not. But if I could feasibly be here, I would feasibly be there. And, and that was important for me, you know, and when she's in preschool, does that resonate or does she understand that? Maybe not. But as she looks back in her life, as I said earlier, I hope that she looks at it and says he was active, he was present. He was a part of the things that I was involved in. And, and that's what I hope that when, no matter what she does in life, that she is actively involved in the lives of the people around her too. If they have kids, if they are just involved in the community, whatever it is, that they see that for themselves as well and the importance of being actively engaged. I love that. Well, I love the community that you're building and I love the mission that you're on please let people know how they can find you and support you in those missions. Sure thing. So still have Dad of Divas and dadofdivas.com. That's the that's where it all began. And it goes back many years. But Fathering Together is the organization, is the organization that we, we developed back in 2018, fatheringtogether.org. And if you go there, that's where you're going to find the most recent podcasts that we have that, that Rena and her father were on. And if you go there and just click on podcasts, you'll see all of our podcasts every week. We have a new podcast every Monday, and that's our Dads with Daughters podcast. But even if you have a son, I will tell you there, there is a lot of learning that you can learn. Even though I talk to people about being fathers with daughters, a lot of the things that we talk about are very cross-functional in many different ways. And in basically, they're those transferable skills that you can learn 
to be able to work with any child. And you can find me out on, on the interwebs, Dad of Divas. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm in LinkedIn. I'm under Dr. Christopher Lewis. And so you can find me in a lot of different places, but I encourage you to reach out and I would love to talk to you. Thank you so much. This is amazing. Thanks for having me. Now, let's switch it over to Grandpa. So your, your follow-up with Chris Lewis about dads with daughters. He even calls them trying to make them divas also, right? Isn't that cute? It is cute. But I think what he is trying to say, which is not only well noted, but very important, is that women of today need to be able to stand on their own two feet and be able to be fully independent and not necessarily be at the servitude of a man. Isn't that what he's saying? And if you want that to occur, they have to really, from a young age, be able to have the support and opportunities to grow and the confidence where they can exceed their expectations. And anyone that's looking at them say, hey, this girl's really on the ball. She can do anything. And isn't that what the saying used to be about boys or men, is that they could do anything? Well, he's trying to tell you in a nice way that women and girls have to feel the same way, where they have to be able to survive in this world, be able to rise above all adversities. They might trip, they might fall, but they got to be able to pick themselves up, be able to say, nothing's going to stop me now. I like that. That's a winning attitude. That's exactly right. It starts with attitude, but isn't it interesting where he got from his parents, where they are enrolled in the education of schooling, being principal of a school, to be part of different boards, where he's part of the board of education of the town that he lives in, where you have to also take a hands-on look, not only with your children, but you have to be able to be part of the education of your children, that that's very important. You just can't leave it up to the schools to do your work. They're there to enhance your children, but it's still your responsibility to make sure that they are getting involved and are connecting and are learning. There's many schools out there that are not necessarily a fit to your children. You might be able to participate and get what you need from that institution, but otherwise, you got to take them to another institution, that it's not just one institution fits all. You have to really be proactive in your children's education as well. Do you feel like you could have been more proactive? Well, I think that in our family, as you know, they really got a good education and got the best of opportunity. In Louisville, Kentucky, they had really an opportunity to go to private schools and the best public schools. What did you call manual? It became a, a special magnet school. Was, is that the right terminology? Yeah, it was and, a magnet uh, school and a youth performing arts right. school where you had to audition to uh, get in. Yeah. That's right. All three of my children really showed not only exceptional ability to learn, and but they also got to fulfill different personal talents or, that they might have had, where it wasn't just about learning the ABCs. They also got a chance to be on different teams and activities, and, and they were able to really flourish. So a lot of credit goes to their mom as well as their dad, but they also had proactive parents that were in on making sure that the education that they were receiving, that the schools were not put in control. We participated also in whatever structure our children were going to receive. And isn't that what Chris Lewis is doing also? 
is that he wants to make sure that there's right structure, that people do not fall through the cracks where we're part of even going to college. He says, let's talk to the children in middle school. I don't know. That might be a little, a little premature to, talk, to see what kind of profession they're going to be in middle school. But the fact is, is that he's saying the earlier, the better. If you want to be a singer or a dancer or a chess player or a football player, you have to practice and set the stage as early as you can. Because we live in a very competitive world. The sooner that a person can find out what they really enjoy and want to do, it's better to have an early start than to have to always come from behind. It's not that it can't be done, but the odds of accomplishing your goals become increasingly tougher the older you get. Better to have a better foundation the younger you are. Yeah, I liked the idea of reaching out to college counselors early and trying to cross compare the different programs that you're interested in. I thought that was a good idea. Of course. And and we should be doing that, whether it's with bankers or whether it's with accountants or lawyers or any business adventure, is that you want to really get into the nuts and bolts of it and really understand what you're getting yourself into so that you don't get surprised or taken. And this is also part of Chris Lewis's mentality is to make his girls have not only opportunities, but where they're not going to be taken or taken advantage of. He's a real strong father figure. He's maybe not perfect, as he says, but he certainly gets involved and wants to be part of their lives and make sure that they are able to face any test that's out there and that they're not going to be taken advantage of and that they're going to be able to stand tall and be able to have an opportunity to grow and accomplish whatever they want to do. And he wants to be there every step of the way. I think he's got the right formula for success. I would like to think that that your father has tried very hard, even though there's been some mistakes along the way, is to set the right example and to be there where I can be counted on. And I like how he brought up the same line, is that I try to walk the walk, not just talk the talk. You've got to be there. You've got to be there hands-on. You have to be a participant and not just say, you do it and this one will help you. I'm too busy. We can be busy with our lives, but we have to really make sure that we have balance in our lives and cover a lot of territory. We really want things to be successful. You have to have an eye on the ball. You take your eye off the ball, that's how you fumble the football or the basketball or whatever. We want to be able to reach out to people to be able to say, tell your story, see if we can compare notes and see how we can make a better tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. 